episode 100 uh, milestone, and as said in episode 99, I have a pre-recorded interview uh, with the stars, the teen stars of my film, my upcoming monster movie, Where the Scary Things Are. So uh, sit back and enjoy and listen to this unique group of kids talk about their experience coming from literally out of nowhere and into their first feature film. So we went against the odds on this one, we got it done, and I'm looking forward to hearing what you think. And stay tuned, as you will hear me mention, uh, they have a bit of a dark secret that they will admit to at the end. So keep that in mind for further interviews with these folks. So um, again, the teen cast of Where the Scary Things Are, coming soon. Uh, In this episode, all these cast members have a terrible secret So let's see if you can wait it out, and then we'll have them reveal it at the end of the podcast. First of all, Peter, I'm going to direct this toward you because you were the one that brought all these people to the the scene. Can you just talk about a little bit? How did you come to where the scary things are, and how did this all happen, bringing these people in for auditions? So back in 2019, um, I worked on the special with... Uh, Harrison. I worked as a production assistant on that. Mm-hmm. And then fast forward later into 2019, basically my school was doing uh, The Crucible yeah. on stage. And that was a fun production. We did all that. But fast forward even more, the uh, coronavirus pandemic hit. And we basically, you know, we went fully online, like pretty much every school in the country. Um, I actually feel like I'm at school right now. It was April. It was, you know, early into the pandemic. And I think it was Emma and I were watching Shawshank together. All of a sudden, randomly, I got a call and I saw it was from Harrison, which is always, you know, you have to answer that because it could be any number of things. And he called and he said, hey, look, I have this script. I have this um, idea for the shoot. Do you want to see if you can get me some actors and you yourself included can audition? Do you think you could do that? And even though I wasn't fully sure, I did what you should always do, and I said yes. So, well, for the record, I'm going to interrupt you right there. I did speak to your mother about it first. I'm not in the right. habit of calling uh, teenage boys and asking that they have friends to put in movies. Yes, wonderful. <laughs> you know, he sent us some sides. I, I got everyone together because all of the people here, either I knew or, like, they had a part in The Crucible. So I had, like, Selena specifically, I remember... Um, Selena played Abigail, and uh, if you don't know what the Crucible is, basically Abigail is a, a girl in the Salem uh, town of Salem in like 1692, and she accuses a bunch of people of witchcraft. And I remember like exactly. I think the quote was, "Do you know someone who could play a really good bitch or something like that?" And I I said, "I have the person for you." So it was like that, you know. I kind of rattled off. I kind of rattled off people, everyone here, and I was like, these people are all great actors. I've acted in them, or I know that they act, so here you go. What were your reactions when Peter contacted you and said, hey, we got this movie, and you guys have a chance to be in it? Hold on. I got, I got a story. I get a phone call from Peter one night, and I'm already suspicious, because I'm like, this guy never calls me. What does he want? <laughs> I thought he was going to, I legit thought he was going to prank call me, and he'd be like, hey, um... <laughs> penis and then hang up i thought it was gonna be something like that so i pick up the phone and i'm like hey man what's going on and he goes hey asher what's up and i'm like nothing much uh what, what have you got for me and he goes do you want to be in a movie 
I was trying to think about what to say next because I thought this still could be a prank. Um, so I was like, what kind of movie? <laughs> and he goes, would be a horror movie. I'm like, wait, so you're not, you're not joking with me. And he's like, no, do you want to be in a movie? I'm like, yes. What, what do you mean do you want to be in a movie? And he explained the circumstance. And after he explained it all, I'm like, yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. This would be amazing. Please. My, my story is similar to Asher's there where Peter called me and I, I had assumed one of two things. One, this was one of Peter's pranks or two, something terrible had happened. <laughs> we, um, have, we have a pattern forming here. But uh, it was neither of those. It was a super, super awesome opportunity. Um, and a, a, after he had explained kind of what was going on, I was 100% on board. I mean, like, he called me, and I just kind of was pacing in my kitchen. And I was like, really? Like, that's awesome, man. And he was like, he was talking about it. He was like, I can't tell you everything about it, though. My initial thought was just like, holy shit, man. I was completely in shock when it happened. I did not think that the movie was ever going to actually happen. I thought it was just one of those out their things that ideas sure. of what could have been but i was really excited that to get that call from peter and it turned out to be a great experience so i thought he was being overly optimistic well and emma you had the inside scoop so what did yeah, you think i was there when he got the original call his to do everything and i was just kind of awkwardly following him around as he paced the house and then I don't want to say that I had any input, but I did help him think through all of the people he was trying to get a hold of and who to get a hold of. And I was there for most of the calls, and it was very fun watching Peter just freak out about the possibility because <laughs> he was very, very excited. Well, it's very interesting to note, actually, that I rather irresponsibly, I guess, I had that initial call with Harrison... And, and that, like, that, the thing I said about, like, do you know anyone who could play a bitch? That was, like, in the original call, but that was really, like, the, the only input I had. Uh, Character-wise, I was just told, hey, I want you to audition for this kid who is a good kid. I want, uh, he's, he's a good kid, but he's misled. And also, I need someone who can play a bitch. That was all I was told originally. So, <laughs> a bit irresponsibly, I called Selena before I got anything. Um, <laughs> I went to walk my dogs to kind of get a everything out and I was like look I already know I want Selena like involved in this to play like the uh the girl and so it, it wasn't even that like I called her because I thought of her first that was just the only other character that like that was the only character I was told about and so I was like instantly like I'm gonna get a return on this right away so I, I went out to walk my, my dogs and I remember Emma came with me and I just called her and I was like hey I don't have much information about this besides that there's a character who like you know I thought you would fit so I, I definitely think Selena had a right to think I was being a bit over optimistic because I had nothing to tell. No, you just thought I was a bitch. This movie was an extreme leap of faith. And that was, I put a tremendous, when, when Selena says that she thought Peter was overly optimistic, um, I, I had to believe in that optimism that Peter was going to find the right people. Because we really, if, if you all remember, it was the, the dark days of the start of this pandemic. And there really wasn't much time. And uh, there was really uh, no logistical ability to go out and do a cattle call and bring 500 people or even 100 people 
uh, together to do this. So uh, I remember the the lead producer, you know, told me you better be damn sure about these kids is what he said. You know, so it was it was a big professional roll of the dice for me as well uh, to get this done. And Riley, uh, tell the audience your character. Tell us a little bit about your character. Don't give away any spoilers. And, and most of all, what was your take on it? Go ahead. I played Mighty, who was sort of the lazy, lame, diabetic follower of Snack's character. I, I interpreted them and as like a, this lethargic and overall apathetic character. They don't care about anything unless it has to do with food or them dying, something like that. Um, they, what is Mighty, I want to ask you real fast what you think. What does Mighty get out of hanging out with these kids? What What is he in this for? Why is he hanging out with these kids? Well, I mean, he wants to be included. He wants to be part of the group, but he's he's a punching bag for them. Yeah, a punching bag is a really good description. The apathetic part was really important. I know it's kind of the thankless part of your job in the role, but that's exactly what we needed because I envision this film as, as a major social commentary on quote-unquote kids these days. So it was very important that Mighty is just kind of there along for the ride, yeah, whatever, and even when people are dying, he's just kind of like, you, you could have left at any time. I think Snack is also another major reason that Mighty's there. Snack is, is, is the good character. Snack is the good character. And he's legitimately nice to Mighty most times. And he, that he sticks around because he's good friends with Snack. So Emma, needed. tell us about Jenny. I played Jenny, and she's kind of also a more social reject, except she is not even really part of the group. She's just kind of this quiet kid who's scared of everything, has very bad social anxiety, and doesn't really know how to work with people. And people attack her for that and make fun of her for not understanding how to work with other people. And the group of people that are sharing the screen play the people that torment her. Yes. And who's who's just, her worst tormentor? Um, Selena's Ayla. And why do you think that is? It's mainly because she doesn't believe that Jenny's worthy of what she has and whatever that is, whether it be grades, attention, whatever it is, she doesn't believe her worthy. I think there's also an element of disgust that Ayla has for you. Um, real quick, do you remember what Jenny was originally written like? Yes. Sort of more in terms of social, less in terms of social outcast, more in terms of more of like an actual mental learning disability. Yes, sort she, of was, thing. she was kind of uh, more childlike and mentally impaired. Let's roll then right into Selena. So. I played Ayla, and she was definitely the leader of the group. Uh, she was very hard-headed, stubborn, and didn't like when things didn't go her way. She used uh, her, the people in the group. And I think that has to do a lot with her past and what the viewers will find out uh, once this movie is released. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that has a lot to do with why she acts the way she does and personally it was 
a little bit of a jump for me to play somebody so rude, especially when it came to uh, bullying Emma. That was very hard for me to do uh, because we get along very well. And we do. The whole group does. Asher, what is Max's true desire throughout this film? I think for Max, I think his one priority in life is validation. I yes. feel like his character is like deprived of attention in terms of like family life, social life, which is why he's in the Dockers. Um, I don't know how much I'm allowed to say about the movie, but he's <laughs> known as kind of like the wise ass. He's always like, he always has these max facts that may or may not be true, and he just states them whenever he feels the need to, you know, be uh, complimented. Like, oh, you're so smart for knowing this thing, but every single time he tells them, everyone's like, bro, what the hell? Like, piss off. Like, we don't need to hear that right now. So he definitely craves validation, and I think that's a very big motivator for Max's character. So there is definitely another big aspect of Max's character is that he has an, um, an unrequited love for Ayla's character. There is kind of an unrequited love dynamic between the two. Um, actually, you know what? There's a, there's a love triangle involved in this movie. It's between Max, Ayla, and Scribble. And Max is just completely unequivocally ignored by Ayla completely overshadowed by Scribble's character. And Ayla knows this, and she uses that to her advantage and uses Max, again, for her own gain. That's Ayla's character. So then let's roll right into Scribble real quick. Scribble, yeah. since everybody has kind of outed you for your, uh, your motivation with Ayla, tell us a little bit about the character, and most of all, what, what was your take on all of this? Scribble is a douche. You don't learn anything about it. Like, you don't learn anything really about him. All you know is he's just really into Ayla. And for some reason, he's obsessed with her. He follows her. He does whatever she says. And she manipulates him. But there's also, like, a hint of some kind of actual love there. From Ayla to Scribble, not just Scribble to Ayla. And that's enough to going and that's enough to give him power over all of the guys in the group like Bran like with Snack and Max they both really like Ayla but Scribble has Ayla so he has that power over them and it's not necessarily a vocal power it comes out every once in a while you see that once or twice in the movie what I love in the film which I wanted to make sure it came out was where the scenes where you're all just kind of together in this like the den of darkness in Field of Screams but when you're in the docking station, you're all gathered in the same room, and yet nobody's talking. You're all conversing through text, and you're just sending text back and forth. You're all within five feet of each other, and nothing is going on. The other thing, which I made sure, is that you never sneak alcohol or anything into there. Like, when it's, it's a very different generation my generation would have been we would have been all about getting shit-faced and hanging out in this place you guys are perfectly content just texting with each other and of course plotting awful things for to happen to jenny so let's roll then right into peter because peter you're at the center of that seduction scene when she's dancing but most of all who is snack what is his character like and how does he fit in with the rest of these dockers and Ironically, or coincidentally, you're the one who brought them all to the table in the first place for this movie. Snack is, he's, he's not really in his own world much. I mean, he, he gets there. I guess that's the most I can say. He's an, he's an inoffensive member of the group. 
he doesn't have to be there. And if he wasn't there, and everyone woke up one day and he wasn't there, it wouldn't be the biggest change in their lives. And I think he knows that. I think that kind of haunts him in a way, that he wants to be more important to these people. He has this constant, I feel like, a need to, to prove himself, but also to have himself above someone. There's a scene, I won't spoil too much, that he has with Bran, where, you know, he's picking on Bran. And then, like, you know, when you see him with everyone else, though, he's not the one picking on everyone. He's not he's not getting picked on himself. But he's also, he's not like, you know, roast master for the group. So I, I think he constantly feels the need to try to be above someone. Yeah. But also he knows that he's not really the most important person in this group. Specifically to Ayla as well. I think Snack, um, I think that's when he reaches his boiling point. I know specifically I was upset emotionally because I was crying for four hours while we were shooting that. Um, but I think specifically Snack kind of gets to his boiling point there. Or like he really still wants to be important to these people, but he has a moral backbone. And he's not going to sway away from that. I won't spoil too much about what's yeah. happening in that scene. But basically, there's something going on that Snack as a person is not okay with. And I think part of his emotions are, as much as he like wants to be a part of these people, he cannot do that. He can't do what they're doing. He can't engage in the actions they're doing. And that's still it still hurts to distance himself from these. You know, to, to it still hurts him to 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 tell these people he can't do what they're doing. I don't want to give it away. I don't want to give this away. There there are three awful things that happen in this movie. And I want you to explain from your point of view, why are these three awful things allowed to happen? And why doesn't anybody within your group, and then I want you to expand on this and talk about what's happening in society, why are these awful things happening and no one's speaking up or saying anything? I shouldn't say no one, but it just seems the majority of people are not based on uh, some of the headlines that we're reading, uh, people your age committing some, some really horrible atrocities. What's going on here? It, it comes down to desensitization. Like our generation, we're exposed to way too much shit in the world. The internet has basically like ruined our brains. We are exposed to violence, pornography, uh, all this horrible stuff that kids should not be exposed to. And here it is right in front of our face, 24 seven. So all of this desensitization has just caused us to see like these atrocities happen, um, not only to strangers, but among ourselves. And we just see it and we go, Ah, another day, another dollar, you know? Well, Asher did steal what I was going to say. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I do believe another part of it, or at least the reason why the Dockers got into whatever they got into, um, I think is because of Ayla's past struggles, since she has pushed everyone else to follow her, she led with this sort of power that gained momentum into and turned into something potentially very dangerous. And I think it kind of shows the struggle of the problem with having too much power and what can come out of past trauma, which is in the movie, and just growing up in not a good way. I wanted to turn this film, uh, bring this film into in a way uh, that it turns the 80s kind of films on its ear. And I think that's how I pitched it to all of you. 
when I first started speaking with all of you, and that is, it's kind of like, what if the kids in the Goonies that found Sloth weren't the nice kids? What if, what if they found Sloth and they made Sloth bad to kill people? What if, uh, you know, with E.T., it was the asshole kids, the Columbine kids that found E.T.? That's kind of the, the commentary that we've done here. I mean, the title, Where the Scary Things Are, evolved out of a podcast uh, that, that is a real podcast that allowed us to use their name. But the, the big thing is, is that the original title was supposed to be called Dark, because all of you are dark. The problem is we have about 20 films out there with that title and I believe several TV series. I think what, what you really uh, get with scary things, um, you kind of get a, a, I mean, because you grew up in the 80s, you get, a, you get an 80s perspective of how it is today. Um, and you definitely, you can draw the parallels with Goonies and E.T., but I, I think what Scary Things really works, uh, what really works with Scary Things is it shows you kind of the generational divide there is between the kind of kids that were finding E.T. and the kind of kids that were finding Sloth versus the kind of kids that would be finding shit today. I, I think showing that is you have exactly there when you see our home life, you have your answer to why these kids aren't sneaking alcohol and stuff like that. Because that's the kind of stuff that they that, that kind of ruined their home life. Um, so I think with the generational divide, a lot of what you see is a lot of technology, and it's a lot of the actions of the past generations as well. I think that it shows sort of what the what would happen if one of those sort of scenarios was thrown onto kids these days, is that you would have people concerned with getting views and getting clout instead of kind of understanding the situation for what it was it's not a it, it doesn't click in their mind that this is something that could be dangerous or something that could end up hurting someone it's how many how many numbers can i get how can i get myself out there how can i really see like how far i can push this for a lot of people like seeing is believing and like back in the 80s if you find something weird People only have you on your word if you don't have it there to show them. Nowadays, with technology and media and YouTube and everything, you can record a video and post it online. And if that is proof of something that's real, people are going to eat it up regardless of what it is. So real fast, let's go do like a around-the-clock thing. Just talk about your experience making the film. What, what did you think? What were your opinions? What do you think about the finished film? And... Be honest. Go ahead. It was the most memorable experience I could have had in making a movie. It was during COVID when it first hit. We were still working under all of the restrictions from that with masks and hand sanitizer constantly. Everything was different. We didn't have um, food ready for us. We had to bring our own food. We didn't have a costume designer. Really, we made, made our own costumes. It was still a professional movie, but we, still, we didn't have those accommodations that we normally would have. So for us being new actors, I feel like it was a great way to fully embrace the experience. And nobody got sick. Uh, it was quite possibly the coolest thing I've ever done. And it was the <laughs> best thing that could have happened during that pandemic. It was something to do. It was people to see. And I would have lost my mind if that hadn't happened. I grew up doing theater. I'm used to what stage life is like. Uh, stage life is like. And then I come on the set and it's a completely different experience. Whole new people, it's a whole new dynamic. 
different expectations, different different ways of acting. So to be able to experience all that while during a pandemic, many people sick, they're losing opportunities. I get to do this thing. And not only do I get to do it, I get to do it with all my friends. It was one of the greatest memorable experiences of my life. I know we all keep saying it, but that's just because it's true. And I'm very incredibly thankful to have gotten the experience because now this is this entire industry is something that I could possibly do for the rest of my life. It's something I hope to be able to do because I enjoy the art so much. So I tried to stay humble throughout all the filming and I still try to stay humble about it because how many people get to say I was in a movie? Think about this for everybody listening to this podcast. These are, you know, basically one, two, three, four, you know, five, six kids with, with Quinn and everybody that you were just going to high school one day and all of a sudden, boom, you go from a high school theater department all the way to the front of the line on a major feature film that's going to be both released in the United States and around the world. I, I'm like Asher too. I mean, all of us are because I, we said this in the beginning, but we, we've all done stage acting. I knew coming into it that it was going to be different. I wasn't really prepared for all the differences as much as I wish I had been. It's not something of like what's easier or not it's it's what's different you know when people ask i hate i really hate the question like is it easier to act in a movie or is it easier to act on stage because i don't think it's about what's easier i think it's about what comes easier to different people because i think there are people that are like gifted film actors that could never touch the stage and i think there's you know people who could touch the stage but are just not you know ready to do a movie with movies there's a lot of waiting around you know there's a lot of just just standing there and you know you get really invested in the character i remember selena one time actually asked me i think we were like halfway through setting uh setting shooting and she she sat me down because we were all like so into our characters and she said do you really think i'm a bitch like (laughs) is this something you actually think i I remember she sat me down like at a park bench and like we talked about it um another one that comes to mind is i i put it in our chat i'm not going to spoil too much because it's a huge part of the film but there's a there's a scene that a year ago today we were shooting and specifically with my character, I remember it was, we were there pretty late. I think we were there till like 3 a.m., but my character is an emotional duress during this. And I wasn't, and when you watch the actual movie, like about five seconds of that, you can see me. But for like four hours, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there and having a panic attack. And I wouldn't even say it's like four hours because you're doing, you're doing it and then you're cutting. And then you're doing it and you're cutting. So you have to like really get into the mindset of the character enough that like you can do it on command but you don't want to get too far into it. It, it. it gets very, you know, I went home that night and I still, I felt like there was a monster chasing me still. I definitely say that um, this was, it was a great movie. It was a great opportunity and a great experience. And I'm, everything that I'm about to say isn't to discredit that. So that is 100% true. It was also very difficult though. And uh not a lot of you guys have said much about this except for Peter, but it is a lot of strain on your mental state going in and out of character so often. Um, and I think also just the fact that this was new territory for all of us coming from, you know, the stage to a screen is, is it's a lot different and it's a lot of pressure because these are people's lives and jobs and well-being it's it feels like it's at your feet you know that you have to do a good job you have to perform but to say that also it was it was a very friendly 
atmosphere as well. I'd, I'd say that all the crew and cast members and everyone were just really kind. And I think that's what got us through it. And that's the reason why most of us enjoyed this so much is just because of the people we were around. We made great connections with a lot of those people and we still are in contact with a lot of them today. That's one thing that I would never give up. I would not go back and wish that COVID never happened in order to, you know, have my graduation and go to prom and all of that. Wow. I would I would much rather have this be our reality because it was truly a great experience. It was a great experience, great opportunity. And when one door closes, another one opens. The concept of cinema is when a production has the ability to do a good job and consciously makes the decision not to. So I'm going to bring that around in a moment. We could have made a shit film if we wanted to. Everything was there to simply look, just shoot this thing, dash it out, uh, get it done and get it to market real quickly. Uh, at the time when we were shooting this, uh, the industry had shut down. Content was something that everybody needed and they didn't care what the quality was whatsoever. Just get us content. And uh, we avoided that. What is the worst good movie you've ever seen? And what I mean by that is uh, a movie that had a lot of money spent on it, that it had possibly, you know, a top end A-list cast. Uh, it's very easy to ask people, what's the worst movie ever made? That's easy. That, that's, you know, and what most people don't realize also as well, it takes an incredible amount of effort to make a shitty movie. And a lot of people don't realize that. It takes almost no effort to make a mediocre one. And so I'm going to ask each of you, and, and you may not have an answer, but being a younger generation, what is the worst big movie or what some people even think may be a good movie that you've seen or you feel is out there? So Emma, I see you raising your hand first. Go ahead. I'm going to talk about uh, book adaptation movies. Specifically, okay. both Maze Runner and Divergent. I did not enjoy either of those. The Hunger Games did a good job for the first two. Okay. And then kind of not for the others. But Maze Runner and Divergent had very good books. I enjoyed both of the book series very heavily, but the movies just did not match up. These are A-list motion pictures, hundreds of millions of dollars spent between the two. Why? They just didn't feel genuine like the characters were not as developed and that is granted a thing you can't necessarily get out of a movie as you can from a book but there's just not enough on the characters and it's more focused on the story and the environment than the characters and you just lose that feel of a character filled movie i have two answers because i want to piggyback off of emma's adaptation uh her point, and I think Oliver might have wanted to say this too, Percy Jackson, hands down. Those movies are terrible. Oh I didn't even see the yet, second one. I love the second one. they're expensive. They, a lot of money and big-time talent are attached have, to those movies. I have all five books right here. You know, like, I love Percy Jackson. I saw that first one. I hadn't read the book yet, so I liked the first movie. And then 
I read the book and then I watched it again. I think it was with my grandma. I was just on TV and I was like, wow, this really sucks. But my <laughs> other answer besides that, because I think Oliver and Riley will touch on that more. I want to touch on a movie. I don't think anyone here. I don't even know if anyone here has seen it because I, I read boxed it like eight years ago. It's called Oblivion. It stars Tom Cruise. I cannot stand that goddamn movie. But it was made, you know, to cast Tom Cruise and to get money. So it's just... Twilight is just so cheesy. I can watch it for entertainment. Like, I enjoy watching it because it makes me laugh. I don't want to interrupt, but, like, I, I do want to point out that, like, that's another one I think Oliver and I can agree on this. That is kind of disappointing because it has good talent and it's very... It's made with a lot of money. Like, you, you watch Robert Pattinson. Like, he's a great actor. But it's just so disappointing to watch that. Any game or book that is being adapted into film or TV, you need to know the source material. Specifically with Percy Jackson, in the first movie, Annabeth, who is a main character, part of the main three, has the wrong hair color. Yeah, and they talk about it enough to where it's like, if they like had mentioned in a character description that she's blonde and they gave her like not blonde hair, it's like, okay, I love Percy Jackson. But so many times in that novel, he's just like, she's blonde, by the way. Like, it's a lot. So, like, it's very, very, very overly stated enough that you see the movie and you're like, these people didn't read the freaking book. Yes. They sparked out of it. And then, in the second movie, Annabeth is just blonde. She just is. It's never explained. Jaws is nothing like the book whatsoever. Correct. You know, there are other adaptations that... I, I'm, I'm not particularly keen on this, but a lot of people are. The Shining is very different from the book, and a lot of people hail that as one of the greatest horror movies of all time. You can change a lot about a book and still make what people think is a good movie as a general consensus. But you need to show that you have a love for the source material. Okay, so I have two movies, or two answers, I should say, and they're both for the exact same reason. First of all, Rise of Skywalker, and second of all, all of the DC movies that were created for the intent to create Justice League. These are projects that were basically made for the sole purpose of profit and for banking off of what people come to know of these existing characters. Because these are like adaptations. Star Wars was made, at least the sequel series, that was made as an adaptation of the original movies, of the prequels. Uh, The DC movies, those were made as an adaptation of the comic books, obviously. But what they fail to consider is the fact that these movies are made for the purpose of profit. There was no, there was really no love behind these projects. And each of these answers, they have a counterpart. DC has, DC has Marvel and Star Wars has itself as its counter in The Mandalorian. The Mandalorian was made as a pure labor of love by like Dave Filoni, Dave Filoni all the other people who genuinely love the Star Wars universe and want to see it come to life. The Mandalorian is... Arguably my favorite Star Wars media that you can watch. It is an amazing show. Rise of Skywalker is garbage. It's pandering. I don't like it. It's just, it's a nothing movie that was made as a last ditch attempt to try and save the plot from the previous two movies that was barely even a plot in the first place. The DC movies, those were made because they were looking at what Marvel was doing. And they went, oh, Marvel is successful because they're making a cinematic universe. Let's do that with DC. Surely it will be as successful. And it definitely could have been successful. The problem is that they rushed it so quickly. They just put out uh, Superman, um, Superman versus Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, 
And then all of a sudden Justice League comes out and it's like, what happened to Cyborg? What happened to The Flash? You're just going to introduce those characters into these movies and expect people to fall in love with them. You can't do that. You have to establish characters. You have to establish lore. You have to establish why should people care about these characters? And obviously DC didn't do that. The people who made the sequel series for Star Wars did not do that. And all you have to do is look at their counterparts. That's what they're doing right. DC and modern Star Wars, that's what they're doing wrong. Look at The Mandalorian. Look at Marvel. That is what you need to use for inspiration when you're going to make movies like these. I hate, hate Gremlins 2. I cannot stand <laughs> Gremlins 2. Gremlins is an amazing movie. The first Gremlins is so great. I don't even know if I'd call it objectively amazing. I think it's just like so entertaining to watch that you ignore its problems. That's what I said about Oblivion. Gremlins 2 was the first time I remember being so upset about a movie, about how bad it was. Okay, Peter, it's my turn. Okay. <laughs> okay, so I'd say, um, I'm not sure if you guys have seen Now You See Me. It's about, yes. like, these magicians. Yeah. Yes. That was one of my favorite movies, most favorite I... movies. I loved it. I was super excited when I heard they had a sequel coming out. God. Just for money. It was yeah. awful. They spent... I think like a five, ten minutes on this one scene that had nothing to do with the plot. It had nothing to do. It was just them passing cards around to try and like do something illegal. Anyway, but they spent a lot of money on like explosions, like special effects, tons of money on location, 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 and. The plot wasn't there, and it wasn't translated through editing. It was done terribly. I, I think a lot of my favorite movies are movies that were made not by first-time people or anything, but just, like, people that were either younger or just, like, weren't too established in the business. Um, like, we mentioned, I, I mentioned Jaws, you know, young Steven Spielberg. We, we, we think of Steven Spielberg as a god now, but, you know, he was in his 20s then. You know, and he was just trying to make a movie. I think a lot of the greatest movies are just made by people who sit down and are just, like, let's just make a movie. It's not anything of let's get some money. I think it's just a general love of the art and a love of creating. I think that's what makes the best movies. Uh, John Carpenter did exactly what all of you just said. Carpenter <laughs> went out and just simply made the best movie he could with the money he had in making the original 1978 Halloween. The difference between Halloween and its 1981 sequel, Halloween 2, is that Halloween 2 was made to make money and that is it and i know this for a fact because tommy lee wallace who played michael myers in some of the scenes in the original halloween was the art designer and editor of the original film uh was given the film to direct and he said when i read the script my heart sank and he said that movie had all the things we avoided with the first halloween all the blood, all the gore, all the nudity. That's not what I wanted to do. And he, he was told, just make the movie. And he said, we could have filmed, and I quote, we could have filmed the phone book and just slapped Halloween 2 and people will come see it. So what you're talking about is that very thing that has now come to pass and is now much more normal than it was 30, 40 years ago. So it's all in the rush to have extended universes and marketing and franchises and merchandising and toys and TV series and everything else. It's become a juggernaut because of the internet. This was an interesting way to conclude this interview by hearing from you and not going for what's the worst movie you ever saw, because again, that's, that's easy pickings. 
but to actually look at a motion picture that had an incredible amount of money spent on it, both in front and behind the camera, and still say it left me wanting because there was nothing to it. It was there was no passion behind it. Film takes that passion, and I think that's what creates an art. Is you need to have that passion in order to make something that's good. Yeah, but. If you start assembly lining these films, then it's no longer an art. It's just another product. It is It is product. That's all it is. And that's why Jaws the Revenge inspired this entire podcast. I don't think uh, we did... I don't think we created cinema with where the scary things are. And hopefully... Uh, the people that are listening to this are going to be discovering you folks very, very soon. Uh, we're gearing up for a release. I'll be having more details and information on all of that. And most of all, we're going to be hearing from all of you real soon. One last thing I said at the beginning of this podcast, you all harbor a, a very dark secret. And uh, I think you all know what I'm talking about. And I think it's probably best if it's going to if that news is going to break, I want it to break on my show. So what is this awful dark secret that all of you harbor? We all pee in the shower. Every single yes. one of us yes. because it's better for the environment. You know who doesn't? Harrison. Every ounce of urine that doesn't go in your drain is another like polar bear that doesn't have a home anymore. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Harrison, you are contributing alone to global warming, and we hate you for that, and it's horrible and disgusting. And we should, we should cancel you on Twitter. Listeners out there, pee in the shower. It's better for the environment. Save Saves the polar water. Saves water. I, Save I, the planet, pee in the shower. Save the turtles. However you can. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, the cast of Where the Scary Things Are all piss in the shower. So um, I can't wait for that to start making the horror trades and getting out there. So Dread Central, yeah. proud, listening. Baby. Specifically, Michelle Swope. So I'm going to ask Michelle Swope specifically or Joe Bob Briggs. I'm going to say when you get one of these guys on your show here, uh, ask them about what they do in the shower. And where the scary things are, 4D experiences, we all come to your house and piss in your shower. <laughs> yeah. Pay me an extra, if you pay me an extra 20 bucks, I'll piss in the sink. I want to thank the cast of Where the Scary Things Are for joining me on my 100th episode of Cinema. Uh, more news is coming on the release of this motion picture, so stay tuned. We're really excited. Find more in my show notes all about this, and we're really excited about getting this out to you. So again, where the scary things are, the monster movie, and it's coming to you real soon. So in a thank you. Shower near you. What was that? A shower in a shower near you. My piss. <laughs> Pissing in a shower near you. I'll leave it right there at that.